You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you're interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of Us needs and appreciates all your support. Hooray! Delicious Volume 1, Life Tastes Good, is finally at Amazon United States. What is delicious, you ask? Imagine a land where all your favorite foods live as human girls. Here in charming a la carte, under the floating city of heavenly delight, we meet Ramen, a young cook trying to run a restaurant with her family of pastas as they end up in all sorts of wacky adventures and hijinks as these strong, eccentric characters pursue their dreams and passions. Delicious is a beautifully drawn comedy series, which is now finally available to buy in the United States. Click on the banner on one of us, order today, and join in the fun now, because Delicious Volume 2, Yum Yum Yum, is coming really soon. A perfect gift for your child, or those of you who are forever young at heart. One of us strongly recommends this one. Hello, this is Bradley Martin doing a cowboy voice, and we're talking about the the men and the women of the old frontier at the turn of the century, and Emily Blunt in a beautiful skirt with a gun that shoots the eyes out of onlookers that dare cross her path. Uh, This is Amazon's The English, starring Emily Blunt plays a woman looking to reconcile some grief and a past helped by a native american named eli eli a native american named eli whip played by chasky spencer and he is a former soldier who's just looking for that piece of america of his own and sometimes a man has to see for himself etc and so forth and these two, um, I would call them, oh, I want to call them, what's it called when two people like have the sexy hots for each other, but the world says, no, that ain't Star-crossed right. Star-crossed lovers. Star-crossed lovers, thank you, are, you know, going through a lot of beautiful scenery here, meeting a lot of crazy villains. I don't mean this to sound negative, but remember Jonah Hex? Like that kind of vibe. Jeez, you don't mean that as a negative? <laughs> I tried not. That's what I thought of. But the Jonah Hex movie was less than two hours. <laughs> this is a, yeah. yeah. a six-hour ride. I guess Jonah Hex was merciful in that sense. So this, The English, created by Hugo Black, from my research, not based on a Louis L'Amour uh, novel, just straight up original story to Prime Video. I, I was shocked. I couldn't find any. Uh, yeah, Hugo thing that Blick this was based is uh, on. an interesting cat. He's uh, 
Piece of trivia I learned today. He played the young Jack Nicholson in the 1989 Batman. So, you know, if you ever want to see the devil dance in the pale moonlight for six hours, this is what you'd get. <laughs> no, absolutely. So, yeah, six episodes. One through five are relatively between 50 and 60 minutes. The finale goes about an hour 10, I believe. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, pr- pretty much star-crossed lovers that have hidden pasts. A lot of uh, the Old West kind of story tropes here. Villains become friends who become villains. Who become villains of friends that used to be villains who just want their cattle back. And, and yeah. <laughs> it works and it doesn't. <laughs> but with me to talk about this, someone who always makes sure... To label her cattle properly and correctly. Melina is with us. Wouldn't want there to be any confusion. And someone who I believe has been to the frontier a couple of times. Marco's with us. I have been to the frontier. Uh, it's a really nice bar. It's closed now. It doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> uh, all, all the Western theme bars I've ever stepped foot in are, are gone. You know, Like the Old West, those days are over. So for me, this film, this assortment of episodes creating a very long film, really gets jangled early because Emily Blunt's character, Cornelia Locke, she takes forever to say little things. And her companion, Eli Whip, he says tons of things with like two phrases like, yep, that'll do. That's me. Here we go. He is a man of few words. It's almost poetic. Yeah, a man of few words. That's poetic. They rhyme. He's very reticent. And the dialogue is, depending on your taste, is either going to be a big selling point in this show or is going to be what drags it down for you. Because this is a very talky Western. Uh, It is gorgeous to behold. It's beautifully shot. The production design is fantastic. I believe they shot it in Spain. I I assume they shot it in Canada for some reason, uh, because that's where you go when you want to find the Old West, because there's no more left in America uh, outside of Monument Valley. And it's gorgeous to behold great actors. I mean, you have Emily Blunt, you have Chasky Spencer, you've got Stephen Ray, you've got Toby Jones, Siren Hines. A lot of great British stars have all signed up for this Western. And the story is complicated, and it's a mystery, but the problem is the real mystery doesn't kick in until halfway, and the mystery that we get for the first half really isn't a mystery at all. It's just that these people speechify a lot, but don't really tell us what's happening. They're all holding things back. And I'm like, wow, if you guys just had a conversation in the first episode... We could have cut a couple of these episodes down. Yeah, or out completely. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. You talk about the cast here and the idea of this epic Western romance, a mystery. All of those things were what attracted me to want to jump on and review this. And I had heard really good things. Still am every day hearing great things about, you know, people's takeaways. It they seems to be overwhelmingly positive. And I watched the first three episodes, uh, I think about a week ago at this point, and I just had a bunch of stuff come up uh, in between and didn't get caught up on the second half until uh, yesterday and today. 
And I will say this, though. I had to do a little crash course on going back and remembering what I had seen in those first three episodes and really struggling to get in the mood to watch the last three. I also felt lost at times, and I kind of binged it. So I didn't have that experience of like, oh, I had a whole week and I forgot what happened at the last episode. Uh, maybe I'm just slow, so I'm kind of glad to hear that you had the same problem, because now I don't feel as dumb. Yeah. I, I'm going to paraphrase Roger Ebert on this one, or I may just be copying his words directly. It's not that I didn't know what was going on, I just found it impossible to care. <laughs> and... <laughs> Again, it's like, I feel guilty saying that because I appreciate this this series in concept. Just with the production design that you mentioned, how, be how unbelievably beautiful it looks and how much care they really took to make this feel authentic to the time, despite the fact that it's not actually set in the American West. And you have this tremendous cast but unfortunately, I think what bogs this down is the script, which I found just histrionic and completely overwrought for most of it. And a story that it's so simple, really, but with the amount of talking and talking over talking and exposition over exposition, it ends up feeling so much more convoluted and overly complicated than it needs to be. So by the time the mystery drops, so to speak. You're kind of like, well, yeah, I feel like I didn't get... I, I, it feels like this didn't really come together in any way that was organic. But that doesn't matter because you just had everyone explain it to me. There's a lot of misdirection <laughs> in this and uh, intentional. And let me give you a really good example of the problems you may have with this because I enjoyed a lot of this, but it didn't always add up the more I thought about it. And... That first episode, a good chunk of it, is just Siren Hines and Emily Blunt, two world-class actors in a two-hander, sort of having this conversation that's just dripping with menace and import. The thing is, it, it, and, and with such heady dialogue, it, it's reminiscent of the farmhouse scene in Inglorious Bastards. The problem is, in that movie, you knew what the stakes were. You knew that there was a Jewish family hiding under the floorboards. You knew the farmer was lying to protect them. And you knew the, the Nazi knew that the farmer's lying. And that just tension, that just builds and builds and builds. They try to do something similar here. The problem is we have no idea what these two people are talking about. He's alluding to a boss. She's alluding to a past. We don't know why she's come to this country. We don't know why he was sent to get her. We don't know what his weird-ass plan is, which somehow involves murdering her and then blaming it on this Native American that they've caught. And you think, oh, well, when you find out who the true antagonist is, you think, oh, okay, that was a, a kind of an okay plan for him to get rid of the two people that are going to cause him a problem, only to find out that, the antagonist doesn't even know Eli or barely remembers him. And it's like, wait a minute, you mean to tell me after six episodes 
their first encounter was a total coincidence? That seems really narratively convenient. That of all the Native Americans in America, your guys picked up the one dude that you have an issue with. Which, yeah, again, that would... I think it would be so much more obvious how clunky and script-driven that was if you didn't have, again, Emily Blunt coming in every five minutes and going, but it was in the stars. It's magic. It's the two of us were meant to be. Yeah, her dialogue sounds a lot like a teen girl who's never fallen in love before. That would explain why she quotes Emily Dickinson word for word at one point. Yeah, oh, for an extended period of time. But but the character we get when she talks about her past and we get to know more about her, that's where I kind of lost a big part of the handle. It's like, why do, you, why do you think like someone who's never lived before? Why are you saying words that someone who's never actually kissed a boy before say, and then tell me about this life you've lived where it's like, oh, you're a very uh, hardened, experienced uh, entrepreneur, for lack of a better word. Where is this flighty and the stars? They they shine and that shine says love like it's very back. inconsistent it's very because there are scenes where they do play her like this woman who's been hardened by her experiences those are right those and those are, are great. great that's when you actually feel like she is a genuine character who is showing some level of progression uh, but yeah just every time that she I mean I can't exactly blame her Chasky Spencer is a fine looking man. Uh, I can't I can't blame her sure. for getting doe-eyed around him, but that's kind of all she is around him. She just kind of turns into this lovesick teenager. And the show, through her, as we have established, very flowery dialogue, the way she talks to him, combined with the really overdramatic music that plays whenever the two of them are together, that is them trying to communicate <laughs> yeah. that these two are supposed to be developing this very deep romance. And I just never bought it. I bought the chemistry between them. It's just the dialogue. Yeah. Uh, there's just so much of it. I mean, there is something beautiful about two people who, you know, from different cultures and circumstances are pulling them apart. And, you know, one guy's not particularly communicative. She is an English lady. She's educated. So, you know, you expect her to be a little bit more flowery. And yet everybody in this show talks in a very stylized way. A lot of the performances, especially the antagonist, is very stylized. <laughs> and you can see that everybody in this movie wants to do like this sort of just dripping with style type of show, whether it's the language or the visuals. I mean, the opening credits just tell you, it's like, oh, this guy's watched a lot of Sergio Leone. And I got to admit, every time they shot Chasky Spencer, especially in that first episode, he shot like an icon like a monument you're just like wow okay i don't even know who this dude is but this is compelling i can't tell if this is a really good three and a half hour movie that's been stretched out to six hours or it's a really satisfying 10 hour movie that's been brutally chopped down to six hours it does feel i always felt like something was missing it does, yeah, it does feel like somehow a weird paradox between being too long and being too short in so many ways. And I think a lot of that uh, comes through, especially in the fourth episode. I found it really distracting at points. There's this whole thing that they make a big deal out of setting up in the third episode involving this 
woman and her two sons who are, have essentially staked some sort of claim over this mountain pass that basically anyone who, you know, dares to go through there has to pay some sort of toll. And that is a real, that's really fascinating. And I like that there's almost a setup of, well, you're the enemy of my enemy. We've had our differences in the past. Let's join our forces, get together and take this woman out only for the fourth episode. And I'm not going to spoil anything to be like, you know what? Forget we did that. You know, forget, forget we set that up. (laughs) They set up a plan and then another character comes and, you know, wraps it up. And I'm like, wait a minute. You, you really had me kind of looking forward to this side quest and (laughs) with a really bizarre, grotesque character uh, that was kind of captivating. And yet, you know, she's only in like two scenes and you're like, man, you, that, that would have been like, imagine if like Darth Vader showed up and you're like, Ooh, this is really interesting. And you never saw that guy again, except for one other scene. And they just blow him away. That is exactly how they build her up too. They want her to feel like a Darth Vader kind of villain. She's that level of grotesque and over the top. There were points, as with her character, that I thought, well, maybe th- maybe they're trying to go for more of a sort of a dark graphic novel, comic book sort of feel, rather than a Sergio Le- uh, Leone Western. And it has hints of that, but they don't pay off in any way that feels meaningful. And you end up feeling kind of robbed because you're like, this was the most interesting thing you had going. But instead, you just, I guess, wanted to truncate that cut that short so that i don't know you could just have more lovey-dovey romantic scenes so to speak between your two leads and i'm like i'm sorry that's just not that's not all that interesting and we get three episodes where i mean we know that emily blunt is has traveled to america across the country with the intent of seeking revenge on a man who wronged her for over three episodes we have no idea what that is. And we're led to believe she's looking for a particular person that we've met only in the fourth episode to go, oh, this is the real antagonist of this show. Someone we've only heard named once. And then that guy disappears for like another two episodes. It's, it's all of these ideas are really potent and interesting. And yet it just feels like they needed someone to go, okay, look, we've got a lot of good stuff here but we got to cut a few things and we have to stitch some of this stuff together so it actually connects. Other other than that, you just have scenes where like, oh, this is what's happening. I'm like, well, how the fuck did they know that? Oh, because the writers <laughs> yeah. decided they know that. <laughs> right. But they never took the time to explain to me, the viewer, that that's what's happening now. Oh, because there are apparently, and that's what you, I think you were referring to when you talked about how this feels like for something that feels like it goes on very long, so much of it feels like it's missing. And I'm like, yeah, what we missed is a feeling of these characters getting together, communicating. We have plans that come to pass between characters who we never see on screen together at all. We never even get a sense that they even met other than them just stopping and conveniently explaining to someone, oh yeah, my friend said that you were here and this is what you were gonna do, so I'm here to take care of that. And I'm like, well, that would have been much more interesting if I could have seen it. Yeah. Well, weird things happen just because the plot dictates it. I mean, at some point, a character who, another character that was briefly introduced 
shows up as kind of a boss level villain who's kind of interesting. He's also taken out pretty quickly. But at some point there's a threat and everyone's like, oh, we got to hide in this house. And then suddenly there's a horse on the roof. (laughs) And I'm like, I know they staged this really cool action sequence with bullets (laughs) raining down on them. But there is no explanation for how the character and his horse got up on top of the roof. I mean, is he fucking Santa Claus? Is that Rudolph the Red-Nosed, you know, stallion? I I, I don't get it. Given the end result of that plan, that horse would have to be some kind of magic to not be bothered by any of these situations going on around it. I actually rewound that just to see, like, I'm wrong. I'll bet you that they <laughs> built their house like next to like a hill or something and he just rode the damn thing up there. It's like, no, the house is completely empty on all four sides. The horse just magically transformed. No, 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 no. And the thing is, it's not even the okay. horse. We're constantly told like, oh, we have to go over that way. That's going to be like a two week ride or, you know, a month at most. And yet other characters just magically teleport little finger style whenever it's convenient (laughs) i was gonna say there was less teleporting in this than in game of thrones season seven um but yeah it's like it just there's so much about this that feels it feels truncated i thought that you know we were talking about how in so many ways the production design on this is really impressive i think that for the most part the score is really strong i really do like uh i love the way that the shots are composed but i thought that there was some editing here and not just a sense of it feels like scenes are missing, but there are just some shots between two, like some back and forth between characters that I thought were just bad to the point where I was like, I can't even focus on what they're talking about because the way that you're cutting constantly between these two people, not only is it is it jarring, and that's because it feels like it's timed wrong. You know, it's like there's awkward pauses between when each of them says something and then before you kind of get wind of what the person said, they've cut to the other person and there's an awkward pause before they start talking. I'm like, what's happening here? It it feels like there's so much missing. At some point, a character is like, we're going to Canada. Fuck this place. And then... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, hey, you mentioned that, Alberta. That That's was, where I live. Isn't that that guy who went to Canada and here he is dying? It's like, well, where, why the fuck was he coming? Where's the rest of the group? And then... Another character who dies off screen altogether. And they're like, let me explain this very expensive sequence that we might have shot, but we decided it would be easier to just have some rando tell you what happened. That scene actually had me laughing because yeah, it's like they have that, they have that line. I guess Alberta came looking for you. And I'm like, I guess they think that's a great line and that's supposed to carry the scene. But oh my god, yeah, like there is that scene where they're all having to like they're having to hunker down in this standoff between this this one guy and his magical horse. Um <laughs> and they actually have a character who is passed out with a bullet through what looks like either his lung or just above his heart who is on the verge of death until they need to wake him up so that even he can deliver some exposition on what apparently is happening. And I actually busted out laughing. (laughs) I was like, you have got to be kidding me. Let's uh, mosey on into our final thoughts. I really appreciate your two back and forth. That was lovely. But I'm going to have Marco start. There's a whole lot to like here. 
as I was watching it, I found myself occasionally entertained and sort of astonished by the production value, by the beauty of it. And, you know, Hugo Blick's clear love of the Western and this interesting idea, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and this interest in exploring the themes of what is America, how does this country turn people into things that they would not be. I mean, it, we're kind of getting into, I mean, we're we're kind of getting into the heart of darkness territory. This idea of like, we have all of these proper English folk and they come to this country and suddenly they just become savages when, you know, all the strictures of society are taken off of them. Interesting ideas, except people talk about it ad nauseum. Again, like the idea of a stylized dialogue and just trying to make this kind of this surreal revisionist Western, but it just goes on too long and it just undercuts itself. And I'm with Melina. I can't tell if it's too long or too short, uh, but I know that there's something wrong if I'm walking away with that feeling. I, it left me wanting more, but not in a good way. Uh, it's it's a real disappointment because there's some great things here and it's easy to see how with a few adjustments this might have been something really special. I'm going to give this 6 out of 10 Old West shows. Very good. Melina. At the basic the most base level of this you have a very interesting concept and one that had me excited to watch this because like you said this is a version of american history that if at all barely gets discussed you know maybe maybe the more generous high school textbooks will offer a paragraph of it here or there I always like to see stories that go into the nitty-gritty of this go into the uglier parts of the acquisition of the West, Manifest Destiny. That is fascinating. And unfortunately, what they see as exploring that are just these very awkward and overly long and dramatic conversations between these characters who most of the time just feel like archetypes to the point of just being flat out cartoonish. Like there's, like, there's not a villain in here who is not a Batman-level cartoon. It's a, it's like a bodice ripper that doesn't want to admit that it's a bodice ripper. And I just ended up feeling, I felt bored most of the time. I felt myself starting to nod off at points. Only thing that would keep me coming back is every once in a while there would be like a genuinely beautiful shot or they'd throw a song in there, which, you know, however anachronistic it felt. Uh, I'm like, well, I like that song. So it's, it's got me, it's got my ears perked up. Always like hearing Rodriguez. I just don't know what the fuck he has to do with the wild West. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, I was rooting for this. I wish I could have liked this more, but if you want a good introspective Western, go watch the power of the dog, which came out last year. Or if you want a nice woman led Western, go watch the missing, which I think is an incredibly underrated film from oh, 2003 yeah. Yeah. or 2006 whichever um but yeah go watch one of those and i am going to give this i'm going to give this five out of ten raw prairie oysters Blech. so i had to rewatch a lot of this because i too was falling asleep a lot of the time so anytime some exposition would start up and it would kind of, I don't like to say meander, because I think it's kind of pretty. It's beautiful prose, as they say. 
But then it would switch to like a quill on a desk, and then a portrait on a wall, and then the actual prairie, and then a sunset, and then a portrait of a sunset. And I'm like, oh my gosh, did I take Ambien? What is, what is happening with all this? And these scenes were a plenty throughout the whole thing. I mean, the way that uh, Eli Whip, uh, Jessica Spencer's character, is introduced, I was like, oh yeah, let's go. A hero's journey. Because he's very much the cowboy of the books I've read where they say very few things. The story is not really about him until it is. And then it wanders into not being about him. And Emily Blunt's kind of the same way. Like, I'd say the very last line kind of cements, and it was her story all along, I guess. I don't know. But then they throw in this history cry on, and I'm like, what? What does that have to do with anything? I mean, I appreciate the historical reference, but we just met this guy. It is very pretty, so I'm going to fall down on a 6 out of 10. Little tiny bird skulls that have a little story of their own that you give to someone you love i guess not a morbid gift i was gonna say uh a little bird skull with a story that i guess there's one i I don't remember what it was (laughs) (laughs) the story meant a lot to her whatever it was and in closing uh marco you um take the baby horse to the top of the shack and it just lives up there (laughs) you know well, you know, it, <laughs> it, it I mean, grew so, up to a full horse on that, top that's, of the shack. That's the solution. Yeah. It's just like, you know, the yeah. way they grow those pears inside the wine bottles. And you're like, how do they get it in there? It's like, well, they put it in there when it was little and then let it grow. <laughs> Maybe that horse was always up there. 